Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. Thanks again to everybody who showed up at the Whatnot stream last week. It was awesome hanging out with Rourke, and it was so freaking cool watching that dude stand up. If you don't know what I'm talking about, check out retrorgb.link forward slash whatnot. I have all of the stories and links to everything about what happened to him in there, but yeah, it was an absolutely awesome time hanging out. Thanks for everybody that joined, and I don't think I'm going to be doing a Whatnot stream this weekend. There's a bunch of stuff going on, but um, I'll let everybody know on social media, of course, and obviously follow me on the platform if uh, if you're into this stuff, but most importantly, I just wanted to thank everybody for coming out and giving a shout out to Rourke for an awesome and amazing recovery, as well as making pretty badass products for the retro gaming community. But anyway, enough thank yous. Let's jump in and see what's been going on this week. Developer Robert Dale Smith has just opened an interest check pre-order on a USB to PC Engine controller adapter. Now, this is just an interest check, so there's no money down. You just click on pre-order, and there's an expected price of about $60, but this is really more to get an idea of how many people are actually looking for something like this. So the end goal would be to have something enclosed in a 3D printed case, not the prototype that you see in the picture here, that would also support all USB devices, including controllers and a mouse, as well as wireless controllers. And it would also support three and six button controllers, as well as multi-tap support. So with an integrated USB hub, you'd actually be able to connect multiple USB devices to have a few connect to your PC engine. Now, as far as I know, you could use all PC Engine controllers and peripherals on a Turbo Graphics with just a quick little or a short little pigtail adapter. And I don't see anything mentioned about that here, but I can't imagine there would be any problem. And if there is enough interest, maybe Robert would even look into that as well. But I guess this all kind of stemmed from a conversation on social media about wanting 8-bit Doe to make a a PC Engine version of their wireless adapter. So Robert took his knowledge of making all of the previous controller adapters that he put out there and kind of did it for him, if you will. So if you're interested in something like this, definitely do the zero money down pre-order just so that Robert could have an idea of how many people actually care about this. If it's only a handful, it'll probably look similar to a prototype, but still get you the desired effect. And uh, if not, you could probably get a fully featured device if there's a lot of interest in this. So, uh, you know, this is very cool that it, people are asking for a product and members of the community are stepping up to make it. Uh, so it, it's kind of neat to see this happen. Also, I guess there's yet another argument over whether it's 8-bit do or 8-bit do. And my pronunciations based on their little speaker, where when you press a button, it says their company name. They say it's pronounced something different. And I got to be blunt, I really don't think they give a shit as long as you buy their products. So uh, if you're interested in their wireless USB controller to use with this, it will work. Uh, but I think it's really important that Robert's focusing on HID compliant USB. So all USB devices. So you're not stuck with just this one. You could use any USB device you want. 
But that's all if you want it. So click on the pre-order link if you're interested, and hopefully enough people will be so that this could become a finished product that we could buy. This week's podcast is once again brought to you by JLC PCB, and this week I want to talk about their PCB Plus Assembly Service, which is such a time saver for people that don't want to sit there and solder all of the components on multiple PCBs. Doing one or two is always fun and kind of a cathartic experience, but if you have to do 50 or 100 of these things, they're so time-consuming, and just letting JLC PCB's pick-and-place machine that I showed a few weeks ago do all the work for you is much easier. To get the process started, it's pretty much the exact same as ordering PCBs, and just pay attention to exactly how many PCBs you'd like ordered, because that's the max you would then be able to order from their assembly. After everything's loaded up, scroll down and add the assembly process to it. Make sure that you select the amount that you want assembled and have JLC PCB create the holes for you, then add it to your cart. At this place, you're going to want to update your bill of materials and the pick-and-place file that your design software created. After both of those are added, you get to the component selection screen, and here's where there's a very cool new feature that JLC PCB offers. If they don't have the part that you need in stock, you could purchase it through them from other companies. They'll stock it for you and use it for your order. So I'm going through this process right now with something that I want to make a prototype run of, and I figured I would show little pieces of the process every week to keep everybody up to speed on the new features JLC PCB has to offer, as well as show the process and show how it ends up in the final result. I picked kind of a weird product because I wanted to throw them for a loop and see how it went, so we'll spend the next couple of weeks figuring this out and seeing how it goes. Now, if you just have basic PCBs, you should be able to follow everything that I just showed, as well as just pick all of the bill of materials right off of JLC PCB's website. But it's us. We're nerds, and we're going to do things a little bit weirder. So we're going to make a retro gaming-based device using those exact services. Come back next week to figure out how we did the component selection and to see the next steps. This next post is filled with both hardware and software awesomeness, but I'm going to go through it in the opposite order that Dave wrote it because I am a hardware nerd. Uh, his post is probably going to be better than this, but I'm going to give it my best anyway. First up, there is something called the Waska cartridge, which is a development project that started back in 2015 for the Sega Saturn that plugs into the cartridge port that ends to be aims to be one of those all-in-one devices. So uh, backup, memory, support for both 1 meg and 4 meg carts, support for pseudo Saturn, and they're planning future upgrades for Netlink and ODE functionality since it's based off the Altera Max 10 FPGA chip. Now, this is a project that seems really awesome, and while there are some excellent ODEs available for the Saturn, I think the best form factor for that would be the cartridge, if it's possible. I'm not putting down any other projects, and in fact, I'm about to talk about one very awesome one coming up soon. I'm just saying, in my own opinion, I think it'd be really awesome to have a cartridge that just plugs in, that does every kind of expansion you would want for the Saturn, and even allows for MPEG card support, if you want to play that one game that supports it, that I'll probably never get around to playing. Uh, so, I think there's potential for this to be pretty big. In its current form, it does have one unique feature, which I'll get to in a second, but I think 
if this is taken uh, and expanded, because it's an open source project, you could make one as is, or of course you could fork the project yourself. But I think if a Wi-Fi chip was added to this, it could add some pretty huge potential. First and foremost, it would add retro NAS support, which I think is one of those things that once more people start to realize what a benefit it would be to keep all of your disks in one place and not have to fumble with storage to get all of them, I think that's pretty big. But you could also use that with link and everything else. So hopefully people would jump on this project and see if they could help out with it. I think it would be a game changer for the Saturn if it adds all of those things into it. Uh, and you know, if not, there's some excellent ODEs out there anyway. But one of the things that the Waska cart does offer is support for 64 meg SD RAM memory mapped onto the full bus range, which is something that the STV uh, arcade version of the Saturn could do, but the console version never really had anything that required it, so nobody ever did it until now. And this allows Homebrew to be run as well as a game that was found called Heart of Darkness, which is the follow-up project to the game Out of This World. And the original prototypes of this required extra memory in order for it to run. So while the game was found and dumped for the public, it wasn't able to run on original hardware until this cart was available and had this feature on it. So Dave did a way better job telling this whole story in the post. Please check that out. And of course, check out the Sega Saturn Shiro crew if you're into this stuff. But overall, I just think this is incredible for a bunch of reasons. Found games are always a really unique look into what could have been. And having a custom piece of hardware that allows you to run it ties it together for the ultimate nerdiness but that piece of hardware, the Waska cart, could end up being a pretty big deal for Sega Saturn users in the future. So if you're a dev that was looking to do a pretty interesting new project on an Altera Max 10, please look into this, because if you could add Wi-Fi support, ODE support, and have all of this tie together, it could be the ultimate Saturn upgrade. But if not, it's totally cool. We have some awesome options up until now. Greg from LaserBear has just opened pre-orders on a Sega Genesis to USB controller adapter that's based off Mick Giver's design, so the Damon Byte adapters. And all of this is awesome. So if you're not aware of what any of this stuff is, Mick created some open source adapters that average one millisecond to go from the original controller to USB, which is insanely fast. That is pretty much zero and should be counted as just zero in your brain when you think about that, which is a pretty huge accomplishment. And these adapters will be made with two controller inputs, so you could connect two Genesis controllers to it. And of course, it's compatible with the Mr. in its lowest latency modes, as well as pretty much every other USB device. The pre-orders are $35 for completed units, um, $25 for do-it-yourself kits, and $14 for DIY kits without the microcontroller. So if you're somebody that already picked up a large pack of microcontrollers for another project, you could utilize them for this if you choose to, but it still obviously comes with the rest of the components and the 3D printed case. So uh, overall, I think these are amazing. I, I've been using mix adapters for well over a year now and just recommend them to everybody. And now here's just a different place to purchase them and a different spin on the same design, but with the same exact low latency. If you want any more info, check it out, but pre-orders should ship in May of this year, and I don't think there should be many delays with that, so I think May is a, a pretty safe bet for this. So if you were looking for a way to play Genesis, or I guess Master System and 
possibly most other controllers that would work on a Genesis than uh, on USB devices, this is probably for you. The Super Famicom dating sim Tokimeki Memorial just got a complete English translation, and that includes voice acting with MSU1 enhancements, as well as an animated video intro, and of course all of the text translated over from Japanese to English. So if you're a fan of this style of game, this is pretty awesome, because it's not just a translation, which that in itself, I always, I don't mind repeating myself when I say that I'm so appreciative to anybody who works on these translations, because even if the game isn't really my thing, it's very easy to recognize that there are a lot of people out there that would love to experience these games that couldn't before translation, especially something like this, which is heavily text-based, where you really need to know what's going on in order to to work with it. It's not like a shooter that you could just, you know, play your top-down shmup and uh, you're going to figure out what's going on even without the dialogue, you know. You shoot the enemies, you blow up the boss, you're pretty good to go, usually. So something like this is is very important because there's just no way you could really experience it without speaking the language. So if you're into this, definitely check out the links and also check out Tim's review of it. Uh, It's very in-depth. It's a five-plus-hour review of the game, so if you wanted to know pretty much anything about it, uh, I would at least watch the intro and make sure, uh, you know, this is something that's for you, but if you want all the info you can imagine on it, a six-hour review of it would certainly have that covered. So uh, check this out if you're into Super Famicom dating sims. The platform MUVR just added NetPlay support, allowing to play with your friends in VR via emulation. So if anybody's unfamiliar with this, MUVR is a platform for, obviously, your VR headsets that allows a fully immersive 3D world of what like a 90s bedroom-esque would have been like. So you could go over to your console and your TV, you could select your game, which loads via RetroArch, and start playing, and the entire time you're sitting there looking like a virtual TV is in front of you, which is pretty awesome. It has support for light guns, which is neat. It's, uh, you know, that way you can play light gun games and it feels like you're still playing it. You can even watch VHS tapes through it. And it's one of those things that I both love and it kind of creeps me out a little bit because as VR gets better, this is probably going to be the way that people going forward are able to experience this stuff. Because while I'm hoping that museums will do things similar, and there are already a few out there that do, and I'm hoping that CRT preservation will stick around so that people could understand how we got to where we are in the technology world, I think that the majority of people will only be able to experience it this way. So I kind of have a love-hate relationship with stuff like this because while they do an amazing job in MUVR, all VR technology isn't quite there without the glitches and stuff that most people experience when you use it. So I love the idea. I love that the project started. Uh, My VR helmet's been in a box for over a year now. I should probably give that another try and, and probably try MUVR. But this will eventually be a way to hopefully experience how CRTs really looked. And, you know, you get the curvature of the image in 3D, so your eyes could see it much closer than any kind of just watching it on a flat panel now. So there's so much potential to this. And the fact that you could have net play, so you could have two people in VR playing these games across the internet with each other is pretty awesome. And I would really love to do that. Uh, You know, I'd love to just try this out. But I hope the team that works on it sticks with it because stuff like this looks amazing and is pretty damn amazing now. But going forward, I imagine it could get even better. So if you're into this stuff, definitely check it out. Check out Matthew's post. uh, And, you know, maybe one of these days I'll jump on and, you know, play virtual Contra with somebody over the net. 
Will's console mods just opened pre-orders on the Saturn Switcher, and while I'm sure it's going to be out of stock by the time you hear this, it'll be back in stock relatively soon, so I figured this was the perfect time to talk about it. So the Saturn Switcher is a device that allows you to mount the Fenrir optical drive emulator next to the CD-ROM drive in your Saturn. It then breaks out the SD card and a switch to the rear MPEG slot, and when you button the Saturn back up, it essentially just looks like a stock Saturn and works like a stock Saturn. Play all your CD-based games the way you normally would, but power the console off, flip the switch in back, and load your ROMs onto the SD slot that's now mounted in the rear, and it works just like the Fenrir optical drive emulator normally does. So you kind of have the best of both worlds. Now, I know the Satiator already does essentially the same exact thing with no installation required, but it's also $60 more, so it's really up to you if it's worth it to go for the extra price. I would say if you have multiple Saturns that you want to use, the Satiator is the way to go because there's no installation. But if you really just have your one, you know, your one Saturn that you love, you know, you, you worked on the optical drive, you recapped the whole thing, everything's running perfect. This is probably a, a cheaper way to go about doing it. And I really hope that more optical drive emulation gets stuff like this. Because while most of the time I would prefer running ISOs for all of the reasons you probably already know, I know a ton of people with large collections of their games that want to play those games but at the same time also want to play translations and homebrew and doing or using an ODE is going to be a much faster and easier way to do all of that. So there's absolutely a need for both. And, you know, you could always say I'll get two consoles then, but there's the cost of two consoles. And what if you've already spent the time and money to recap one of them? So it's one of those things that having it all built into one is definitely something that a lot of people would want. So if you already own a Fenrir and you saved your original optical drive, this is something to seriously consider. If you weren't sure which one you wanted to buy, now you have another option of being able to keep the functionality of your original optical drive. But I love that there's choices, so check it out. Um, once again, it'll probably be sold out by the time this goes live. I would check anyway in case Will found some extras. But there should be some more coming relatively soon, and I believe the 20-pin Fenrirs are in stock at the moment on Castlemania. I have links to that as well. And the 21 one pins should be coming shortly for both. So both the, the Fenrirs and the Saturn switchers that are designed for them. So if you have any more info, check out the post and go right to Will's site. But this is very cool. And I really hope more ODEs have this ability because there's just so many of us that want to play discs and ISOs. I recently did an interview with Calamity, and if you have ever tried to take a PC and run it on a RGB monitor or anything in 15 kilohertz, you have definitely heard his name before, and his posts have definitely come across your plate. Um, it was absolutely awesome having a chat with him. I have been using his work for years, following him on forums, and basically copying the things that he's done, and it was really neat to kind of go and have a conversation with him and, and get to thank him for all of the years of helping everybody, including me. Uh, and, you know, it's Calamity was one of those, one of the many people where every once in a while I'll stumble across a post again and go, oh, why haven't I interviewed them yet? Oh, I totally got to do a podcast. And there's a whole bunch more awesome people like that out there. But I was really grateful that he took the time to have this chat. And it's been great feedback in the comments. So I, I feel like everybody else really enjoyed it as well. So, um, you know, and, and this is both interesting, at least in my opinion, interesting and technical. So if you were kind of into just 
you know, hearing from awesome devs in the retro gaming scene, this would probably be a decent one. But also, if you were curious about taking PC video cards and forcing them into 15 kilohertz modes for use with emulation and stuff like that, this is probably also a good chat to listen to. So, as always, it's available as a video and anywhere audio-only podcasts are found. So, if you're looking for this, just search for RetroRGB Calamity in any podcast app and it should pop up. And if it doesn't, let me know because I try to get on all of them because I don't like people to have to switch platforms. Wherever you're already at, I'd like to be to make it easier for you. So should be available absolutely everywhere. Uh, and once again, you know, thanks to Calamity for doing this because it was really cool hearing from him and I'd definitely like to keep in touch. Now on to this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm just going to skim through these and only add stuff that uh, that I feel like talking about to it. But if you want all of the details, definitely check out Lou's video as well as the post right here on RetroRGB. But first up, there's been a few more additions and updates to the upcoming PlayStation Core. The big one being that Laxer 3A helped add widescreen support. And no, this isn't just stretching your 4x3 display. This is true widescreen support widescreen support it's a little more complicated than that but lou did a video just about this all by itself so i strongly recommend taking a look at this because i think that's going to be a very big deal for people who want to use the playstation core on flat panels because you could take advantage of a lot more screen real estate there's also been some overclocking and underclocking support on the Cortex A9 CPU that comes on the DE10 Nano, but I want to make sure that I set realistic expectations. Just because it's overclocked doesn't mean it's suddenly going to run MAME at full speed or anything. This is still a very low-powered CPU, and it's very limited to what it could do. However, some of the things it can do is hybrid emulation on the 486 and Amiga cores. So the ability to overclock and underclock it might help time things better when doing things like that. So it's still something that could be very helpful for people, but on the flip side of things, once again, just don't expect Dolphin to be ported to the CPU or anything like that. There is also a beta core of the Konami GX400, which allows a version of Gradius called Nemesis. Hotego did a few updates, including one of the things that I was following on Twitter where he was chasing a bug for a while and come to find out it was actually a bug in the Intel software, which as a nerd who's been in the scene for a very long time, that's something that drives all of us crazy. And I myself even flew out to a big company once because of that, because I found I found a bug in, in something. I was back in my previous life, but it, uh, it brought back both nightmares and fond memories when I was reading Hotego's posts on that. There's also a beta core for the NES core that allows MIDI support, which means you could connect a MIDI keyboard to the Mister and play along to the Nintendo Music with the core's built-in NSF player, which is awesome, because now you could use the Mister to create MIDI music through the NES via the core, and that's something that I just really wanted to go back to at some point, and I just never have time, but I'd love to take all of my songs and get them into MIDI so I could port them to stuff like that and try to get them working on an NES, and every time I've talked to somebody who claims they could do that it's either like fifteen hundred dollars a song which i would never be able to afford or it's like yeah i'll do it for a hundred bucks and all they do is run the mp3 through ableton send me the output files and don't even check it and it's terrible every time so hopefully i could find somebody uh, who's willing to help me in the middle there but 
Uh, and also another Mr. Stage event was just available on podcasts. Uh, so pretty much all of the or Apple podcasts and I believe also uh, Spotify. I think I found them on, but the Mr. Stage events are where Artemio hosts and has some guests to talk about themselves, their background, and of course the Mr. Project. And this stage event features Alan SWX and Robert Pipe, who's also working on the uh, the PlayStation Core, who I interviewed a while back. And uh, I haven't gotten a chance to listen to this one, but I really liked those stage events. Those are just very enjoyable. And I always like listening to interviews with these devs because a lot of these people are my rock stars along with actual rock stars. And it's very cool to hear their thoughts on this stuff. There's also a way to use your Android phone as a sound module. So if you're holding off on getting an MT32 Pi, you could try to use your Android phone as a MIDI module. And it seems like a neat thing that it's worth trying. But for me personally, whenever I'm in those situations, I like a hardware solution to be a nice and tidy in there. But I guess if you have an old Android phone, maybe you could utilize that. That's pretty cool. So if you're into that stuff, definitely check it out. Uh, and there's just been some other miscellaneous updates on different arcade cores and other stuff like that. So uh, if you'd like any more info, uh, definitely subscribe to Lou's channel and check out his video as he walks you through absolutely all of this stuff, not just skims through it like I did. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks so much to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way possible. It is you who is keeping all of these podcasts, the website, the behind-the-scenes research, the tremendous amount of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. I can't wait to share all of that with everybody, but I need a few more months to finish up what I've been working on. But point is, none of it would happen without you. So thank you all so much. If you would like to know ways to help, just go to the website and click on support or RetroRGB dot com forward slash support dot html and see if there's any way that you feel like supporting including buying stuff from amazon and ebay at the exact same cost to you but i get a few pennies of affiliate commission on whatever you buy so any way you could help is appreciated thanks so much to everybody that does and i'll see you next week <laughs>